Please be turning to Hebrews. Join me in Hebrews this morning, chapter 11. Hebrews 11, look at verses 28 and 29 this morning, just two. Now, this morning, I want to pick up where we left off last week, and it's sort of a part two from last week's, but I am going to talk about a new theme, a new title. This is one unit here, this paragraph. It goes all the way back to verse 23, down to verse 29. And I want to be fair and say, contextually, it's one unit. It's about Moses, but I busted it up into two, so we're going to finish the second part this morning. And we talked about last week the theme of real faith gives spiritual courage. And I, I tried to show us here from some points going as far back to how Moses was born. His parents showed courage. There was different points in his life where he showed courage. We just tried to look at how is it that our faith can help us show spiritual courage. Um, we said things like this, faith courageously obeys God even when it's risky. We saw that with Moses' parents. They defied the Pharaoh's orders and they hid and kept baby Moses safe. Uh, faith courageously refuses to compromise with the world and its sin that it offers. Moses, when he came of age, rejected what he could have inherited in Egypt and chose to be identified with God's people. Um, faith courageously endures the pressures to quit. Moses kept God always, the invisible God, it says, always in his sight, and it let him endure everything that he faced. Well, I want to back up for a second and remind us, because we've been in Hebrews 11 for several weeks, why is Hebrews chapter 11 here? I think it can help us understand the, the rest of these people that we look at. You have to remember what we've been looking at in the book of Hebrews, who he probably, I stress probably, who he most likely wrote to. A group of Jews, ethnic Jews, Israelites, who had converted to Christ. They believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Well, not every Jew believed that. I mean, they crucified Jesus. So they, a group of these people, became Christians. Well, they're facing persecutions to one degree or another. Physical persecutions, emotional persecutions, social persecutions. Imagine trying to go to family reunions and your mom and dad who are still Jews saying, we don't really want you here because you are a betrayer to our people. You've blasphemed Yahweh because you believe in this Christ person, Jesus. So they're facing things like that. Their faith is struggling. And I believe he wrote this letter, I think it was a pastor, who wrote to a church congregation to encourage them to press on. Don't quit. Keep the faith. Jesus is worth it, so don't quit on Jesus. Well, here in Hebrews 11, he basically brings case studies. Because these are Jews, they're familiar with the Old Testament. So he basically says, listen, the Jewish system left God. It became about works, what you can do, what you can offer God, what you can bring God through your efforts, the commandments, and on and on it goes. And he's showing them here, listen, as far back as the Old Testament, it has always been about faith, faith in God, faith in God's promise. That's how people were made right with God. So he's called on sort of these heroes of the Old Testament, Noah and Enoch, Abraham, and we came to Moses here. Now, he's making a case that faith is necessary to please God. You have to have faith. It's necessary. You cannot please God or be approved by God without faith. The Jews thought otherwise at times. To think of it like this, um, faith is like fuel, what fuel is to a vehicle. When you start your car or your truck, and I'm not a mechanic, but this is what I understand it in my simplistic mind. 
the, the fuel is causing the little explosions to fire off that power up the engine and the pistons and all those things. But it doesn't stop there. Your vehicle still needs fuel to keep driving, to keep going. What I'm saying is you don't need fuel just to start your vehicle. And then you say, well, I don't need any more fuel because once it's started, that's all I need. No, you still continuously need fuel in the vehicle to keep it going. I believe that's the point he's trying to make here is faith is not just a one-time thing that you expressed in the past. It, it, it is that, but that's the start. Faith is not, well, one time when I was 10, 11, 12, 20, I professed faith in Jesus, and that's it. Well, that's like starting the engine. But you still have to have faith to keep the car moving, keep it going. And that's his point here by mustering these case studies and say, look what they did, how they lived by faith. They, they did great things for the Lord by faith, and God worked through them in a mighty way. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, then, remember in verses 1 through 2, he said that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the substance, it's your confidence of things that you have not seen yet. Faith is like your down payment given to you by God while you wait for him to give you the rest of the things that he's promised you. Well, what that means practically is faith powers the Christian like that gas powering the car on down the road. It powers you through to successfully live the Christian life. And so Moses is an example now that we're looking at. Moses should encourage these readers here from this original letter and help keep us as well encouraged to keep pressing on in this life by faith in Christ. Moses endured persecution, threats, pressures, and only by his faith in God's promises, only by that faith it kept him going. Now, this section here, here's what I want to talk about this morning. Real faith, trust in God's plans. I just want to give you two points this morning. There's two phrases by faith, so those are two points. But it's this theme I want to share with you now, real faith, trust in God's plans. There are two points are faith, trust in God's plan of provision. And the last one will be faith, trust in God's plan of protection. And we'll see that here with Moses again this morning. Have you ever heard of a plan that someone told you, whatever it was maybe, and it sounded completely crazy, just completely nuts, and you heard about this plan and you were like, there is no way that that can happen. That will not work. But, but lo and behold, maybe it just worked out. Just by some stroke of dumb luck, the plan worked out. I grew up watching uh, TV Land, I think it was called, with my grandparents in the summer. You know, they played all the old shows and old to me. No offense to those of you who they were, they were contemporary for you. Well, my, one of my favorites was the A-Team. You know, that group of uh, mercenaries that were uh, charged with war crimes wrongly and they were sort of helping people along the way as they're on the run. And there was Colonel Hannibal Smith, if you know the show, but he always thought of these crazy ideas to beat the bad guys. And they just seemed to always work out. And I thought about how in this passage, what I want you to see this morning is there's going to be two things he says. God had a plan and he shared it with Moses and in a human sense in a human sense it probably sounded crazy it sounded like i don't see how that would work but as we go through it and i'll share that with you the plan worked out because it was god god is the plan maker the plan sounds crazy but faith trusts the plan maker it doesn't doubt the plan because it has trust in the plan maker which is god the results that we'll see were they obeyed they followed the plan that god laid out and the people 
saw the rewards from following God's plans. Moses and Israel here will see these two plans from God that sounded crazy, but I want you to see by their faith, they followed, they obeyed. So again, real faith, trust in God's plans, and we'll see how we can trust God's plans more easily. If you would join me in standing out of respect for reading of God's word, I want to read just verses 28 and 29, and we'll get going. It says, By faith he, now he's Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Let's pray for a moment. Lord God in heaven, thank you that as the last song said, we, we have something to sing about that death is not final. It is the entrance of our victory. And that you have promised us many things that we will fully realize one day when either you return or we pass from this life through death. Thank you for the hope we have beyond the grave. Now I ask, Lord, that you would speak to hearts and minds here in a way that I cannot, but in a way that only you can, Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would just help us glean the truths that we need to hear from this text. I pray for my co-laborers in the ministry as pastors are preaching your word this morning. You would bless their efforts, Lord, as they proclaim Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the first point, how can real faith trust in God's plans? Well, real faith trusts in God's plan of provision. So plan of provision is the first thing to see. And that's in verse 28. It simply starts with by faith. That's how you know he's making a new point. So by faith, he, that's Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. The point is simple. He says by faith, Moses did something. What did he do? He kept the Passover. Kept means he honored it. Some translations actually go so far as to say he instituted it and he set it up as a continuous thing to happen year after year. But either way you want to take it, the point is simply Moses was told by God some instructions about a plan called the Passover, and Moses honored them. He followed those instructions. He kept the plan. I want to read you what it's talking about from the book of Exodus here. You can find it in Exodus chapter 11. I'm going to bounce around and just cherry pick some verses uh, to help us understand. But what's going on is there was plagues in Egypt. Israel was held captive. God chose Moses and Aaron to sort of be his spokespeople, his prophets, to say to Pharaoh, you better let my people go or bad things are going to happen. And Pharaoh had a hard heart. He refused to listen. Well, God did several plagues. The last one, in Exodus 11, God declares to Moses what's going to happen. And it reads in Exodus 11, starting verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people, that they may ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. So let me skip to verse 4. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So God lays out this very strong, severe, final plague he's going to do. And God says it's so strong and severe, Pharaoh will have no choice but to beg you guys to leave. He wanted to keep you here, but now he's going to be pushing you out of here. Well, what was this plan? I'll just paraphrase it for you. 
if you're taking notes, you could find it in Exodus chapter 12. But there God explains to Moses, okay, here's the instructions, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have each family in a household take a one-year-old lamb, male, and then there's this phrase, without blemish, meaning perfect, no broken bones, no birth defects, not blind in one eye. It needed to be the, the choicest, most prized, valuable lamb that they had from the herd, the flock there. God said, take that lamb, bring it in, and then you're going to sacrifice this lamb. You're going to roast the lamb and eat it as a family that night. And then you're going to take some of its blood and paint it or sprinkle it on the two doorposts and the threshold of the door. And God said, here's what would happen at midnight. He said, when I pass through the land of Egypt, I will go house to house, door to door. And when I see that blood smeared on the doorpost, then I will pass on by. I will not enter that house and carry out the plague of judgment and strike the firstborn dead. So that's where it gets its name. God literally was going to pass over that house that had the blood on the door. So it became known as the Passover event. If a home did not listen and they did not have the blood on the doorpost, then the angel of death, or Hebrews calls him the destroyer, that angelic being would go through there and carry out God's judgment and strike the firstborn dead. But again, God gave instructions and said, anyone can do this, even Egyptians could do this and be spared. It wasn't that they couldn't do anything about it, they could. All they had to do was exercise faith and obey. Well, verse 27 and 28, it says this, uh, the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So Moses relayed this to Israel, and they obeyed. They followed God's instructions. So here, God gave a plan of provision, I'm calling it. Provision means he provided them something that they need in the moment. And in this moment, there was judgment coming, but God said, I'll provide for you a way out. I'll provide for you a substitute so that the judgment will pass over you. That's the provision he provided. Well, the plan, if we're honest, it probably sounded crazy to them. Let's think about this practically for a moment. Pretend that you are told this plan. You are told by the spokesperson from God, we're going to, at midnight, the death angel is going to come in, and if you don't do this thing with the lamb, then sacrifice it and spread the blood on the doorpost, then your firstborn from animal and person will be struck dead. They'll be killed. The, that on itself, in the face of it, sounds probably kind of crazy. But then, what if you thought things like this? But how do I really know that that lamb, like you mean to tell me that if I do this thing with the lamb, that that's actually going to spare my firstborn, that that's actually going to cause God to pass over? They're, they could have doubted that the lamb would have been effective, that that would have worked. What if an Israelite said, I'll tell you what, I think I'll pack up my family and by the time midnight's here, we'll be gone. We'll try to cross the border before this happens. They could have thought these things. But rather what they did, they trusted God's plan of provision. How did they trust it? Hebrews says, by faith. They exercised faith that God meant what he said, he would do what he said he would do, and he would also spare people per his instructions if they would only obey his instructions and receive his provision that he offered with this substitute Passover lamb. They obeyed the plan and it worked out. They trust the plan maker. 
The plan may have sounded crazy, but they said, we've seen God work enough in our lives. We trust the plan maker. If God said it, then so be it. And my point is for us, we must trust God will provide according to his plan. That's the key. God promises to provide for us a provision when we need it, but it's always according to his plan, his ways, his timing. God offers us a provision for salvation is the big one. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, God's provision. John 1.29 says, this is John the Baptist talking, when he saw Jesus walking toward him, he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again in verse 35, John saw Jesus again the next day standing off with his two disciples and he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God. Now I shared that with you to make this parallel. What God did with Egypt and Israel with that Passover event what he was really doing is saying, judgment is coming, but there's a way of escape. I will give you a provision, a substitute, so that my judgment will pass over you. You will not be judged. And then we get to the New Testament, and John the Baptist and others directly say when they look at Jesus, this is God's Passover lamb in human flesh. He has come to offer himself up to provide a provision, a way of escape for people to be spared God's judgment. It's the same parallel. What God did back then through Moses, he did through Jesus Christ. In fact, interestingly enough, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he did it on the night they were honoring the Passover feast. Jesus was being intentional to say, I, I'm, I'm the new covenant. I'm the Lamb of God that's come to die for sins and be the substitute. All people have to do, Jesus said, is apply his blood. I'm being figurative here but apply his blood to the doorpost of your heart, we'll say. And when God looks on people at Judgment Day and he sees the blood of Jesus applied to their soul, he passes over them and they will not incur the judgment of God. But again, just like they had to obey by faith and do something, people today do as well. Jesus doesn't just automatically give that provision. He provides it, it's offered, but a person must receive it. Hebrews says, how did they receive it? By faith. How does people receive it today? By faith. It's all the same. And that's what he's trying to show his readers here is, listen, you have to trust in God's provision. The plan that God will provide for you, you have to trust it by faith and follow what he says. Well, God has said that only through Jesus Christ can his provision of salvation be offered. No other way. He is the Passover lamb provided. The question would be for each of us, have, have you trusted that plan? That's where it starts. Will God on judgment day pass over you? Because when he looks at you, yes, he will see an imperfect sinner, but he will see the blood of his son applied to your life and say, okay, you are forgiven because of my son's blood applied to you through your faith in him. God also, though, has offered us provision for our needs, not just salvation, but once you're saved, He's promised provisions for your needs in life. I won't read all this, but in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he says this important point. You cannot serve God and money. Some translations say mammon. It's this idea of wealth. You cannot make your life about God and say, I'm, I'm all about God. And at the same time, you care equally or more about getting stuff and wealth and security that this life can offer. Jesus said, here's the cure for anxiety. If you're worried about 
if you'll have enough and if you'll be secure in your physical life. He says, rather, focus on God's kingdom, God's righteousness. He says in verse 31, I'm skipping down. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says this, all these things will be added to you. In layman's terms, he was saying, if you'll make your life about God's agenda and not the world's and not your own, then the promise of the provision Jesus said is he'll give you everything you need. You just need to trust him. Make your life about God and not the stuff, and God will give you the things that you need. But again, that's challenging, because what Jesus said is God doesn't give us everything we want. We're promised to have everything we need, and God will provide that stuff. God will add these things to you, Jesus said. But the question again is, have we followed God's plan? His plan for us is that we be about his kingdom, his agenda, not our own, not the world's. And if we follow it, the promise of his provision is, I'll provide for your needs. You don't have to worry about this stuff. Psalm 3410 says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Proverbs 10.3 says, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Now, Proverbs didn't promise that God just gives you everything you want. He just says he promises you, you'll have what you need, you won't go hungry. But that's the part where we trust God, that he's going to provide everything we need and in his own way. So the point again, trust God. You may remember the story of Abraham in Genesis 22. He was told by God to sacrifice his promised son Isaac, to go offer him up as a burnt sacrifice. And the story goes that Abraham and Isaac, I would argue, they voluntarily made full provisions to go through with the sacrifice of Isaac. And here's what Abraham could say when Isaac asked him, we have all the stuff we need to offer a sacrifice, the, the thing to make the fire, the wood and all, the rope to bind up the animal, the knife to cut the animal, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said this in Genesis 22:8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they go on to carry out the business. And God did provide. He provided a substitute lamb. In the place of Isaac. My point in sharing that story is to reiterate this idea that Abraham obeyed God's plan as crazy as it sounded. Go sacrifice your son on that mountain. That sounds crazy, let's be honest. But Abraham obeyed because he just knew God will provide and he'll provide in his own way and in his own time. Again, are you trusting in God's plans to provide for you? Have you trusted in Jesus, the Lamb of God, to provide for your salvation? Are you trusting in God to provide for your needs in life? And in return, you live life focused on God's kingdom plans and not your own. Moses trusted God's plans for, of provision. By faith, he did that. The proof is he kept the Passover. He obeyed, but he didn't stop there. Next, he and Israel trusted in God's plan of protection. So here's our second and final point. Real faith trusts in God's plan of protection. If you would look at me in verse 29. It says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. So now he says, okay, let's, let's take all of Israel with Moses. That's the they. So they, Israel and Moses, here's what they did by faith. They trusted that God's plan would work, his plan to protect them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. When God did the final Passover plague, Pharaoh did let them go. He said, get out of here. I don't want you anymore. You people are destructive. You just get out of here. 
But once some, some distance came about, Pharaoh had a change of heart. He realized he had just let all of his slave labor go, and he thought, that was a mistake. I need them back. We've got more pyramids to build. So I need these slaves back to do the work that we don't want to do. In Exodus 14, verse 1, here's what God told Moses, though. Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Don't get caught up in the names. Just move on. But for Pharaoh will say, here's the point. He says, when, when I have you camp here, Pharaoh's going to see that and he's going to say this. They're confused. They're lost in the wilderness. So then he'll say, oh, now I can go back and get them. I'll harden Pharaoh's heart and will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his armies. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So he has Israel purposely march a certain way through the wilderness on their way to the Red Sea. And if you look at a map, they can't get through that sea on their own, but now they're trapped. They have the sea on one side and Pharaoh and his army on the other. they got nowhere to go. And Pharaoh thinks, now I've got him. I can get him back. Well, to paraphrase the rest of the story how it goes, the people of Israel see Pharaoh's army coming, and it says they're afraid. They even cry out to Moses, did you bring us out of Egypt just to watch us die in the desert? Is that why you brought us out of Egypt? So they start doubting. But Moses has a steady hand here. He says in Exodus 14, 13, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. And then he says this, I love it, the Lord will fight for you, only be silent. Basically says, shut up and watch God work, quit griping. Let God do his thing, trust that he will protect you, but in his way and in his time. Again, the plan sounds crazy, God says to Israel, go march a certain way where you're trapped. You want us to march over here where we're trapped? We can't cross the sea on one side and we have this murderous army on the other side. You want us to go there, God? And God says, yes, that's exactly where I want you to go. Sounds crazy. But, but by faith, they obeyed. They followed the plan. And here's what happened. In verse 29 of Hebrews 11 again, it says what happened is they walked across that sea on dry ground. What God did is he said in Exodus 14, verse 21, he told Moses, stretch out your hands over the sea and I will literally part the waters. It'll be a wall on both sides. And Israel's supposed to walk through between these two sea walls. And he says, you'll walk through on dry ground. I'll part the waters so much. And then he says, when you do that and you cross, turn back around and let your hands go. And Pharaoh and his army are going to try to do the same thing, but I'll let the waters crash in over them they'll all be drowned. I'll exercise my judgment on them for their wickedness. But you got to think about this here. By faith, Israel trusted in God's plan to protect them. How so? Because again, I want to keep repeating this to get the idea. The plan sounds crazy. They just were supposed to trust the plan maker. Again, what's the plan? Well, walk through this sea that will literally part in front of you. But if you're them, you could be thinking things like, Okay, but what if in the middle of it, Moses' arms get tired and he drops them and the walls come down on us? Or what if God's toying with us? Or there's all these what ifs they could have said that could go wrong with that plan. But they didn't do that. Hebrews verse 29 says, by faith they crossed. They obeyed God's plan of protection and it worked out for them because God always does what he says that he'll do. So, here you see 
that they followed God's plan to protect them, and by faith they obeyed to the letter, even as crazy as it sounded, and God protected them, just like he said that he would. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. You see, God promises today to those of us who are Christians that he will still protect you. He offers a plan of protection for his children. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Paul goes on to say it again in 2 Corinthians, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, yes, but not forsaken. We may be struck down, but we're not destroyed. I want to stress this. I I said to you that God offers you protection as one of his children, but I want to make something clear. Protection does not always mean safety from harm. It means God will do things according to his plans, and he will always be with you. Paul ended up getting beheaded, church tradition says. Paul knew that, though. He knew that when he went to Rome and testified of Christ, he would probably be murdered for that. But Paul willingly accepted it, and the whole time he could say, but God is with me. Well, is what I'm saying wrong then? Did God not protect Paul? He did. He protected Paul all the way up to get him to the spot where he needed him to give that final testimony, even to the Roman emperor himself. It cost him his life, but Paul said, that's gain for me. The worst that the world can do to you as a Christian, physically kill you, is actually the best thing that can happen to you as a Christian. Because you go from here to there. It's nothing bad. Sounds bad, right? We don't like to think about it. But Paul knew that, and he could face the danger and say, God has his plan, and he'll protect me in his way. How do we trust in God's plans for protection? Well, by faith is where it starts. By faith, we obey. They obeyed. That's the point. They Followed the plan, as crazy as it sounds. By faith, we obey God's plans. Think of practical things like this. Do you want God to protect your marriage? Well, the question would be, are you following God's plans for your marriage? He has instructions in the scriptures about how to structure and have a godly marriage. So are we following that? And when we do, it's like we're under the umbrella of God's protection. We've got to follow the plan. Are you following God's plan for your children? Do you want them protected? Of course you would. But again, the question is, as a parent, are we raising our kids according to God's ways and his plans so that we're under that umbrella of his protection? Real faith says something like this. Okay, I'll just do it because I trust God knows what's best. He's the plan maker. I don't may not understand it all, but I'm going to follow it. I'm the plan follower. He's the plan maker. You can apply that to any situation in your life. Are you trusting and doing it God's way? Only then can you have that promise that he's offering you protection like Israel was crossing the Red Sea. may not always make sense. It didn't make sense to them, but they did it, and God protected and provided for them. Imagine a doctor who writes you a prescription. You have a bad ailment, a disease, whatever you want to call it. You go to the doctor, and he knows exactly the problem and says, I'm writing you a prescription. If you take these pills twice a day for 10 days, they'll cure it. He gives you the prescription script, and you say, thank you so much. That sounds very much wonderful. You go to the pharmacy, you go ahead and turn in the prescription, and you get the bottle of the pills, and now pretend you go home, say, this is wonderful, I have been waiting for such a cure. And you set it on your counter, and you look at it every day, and you never take the pills. What good would that do? That would be crazy. But I want to make the argument that that's what we do a lot. We hear God tell us things, 
Here's the prescription. Here's how to fix this thing in your life, this situation that you're in. Here's what you should do. And we, okay, that sounds good. I either heard it from a pastor, a teacher, or the big one. This right here is your prescription bottle, so to speak. God has given you this and said, read this, take this in. This is my word to you. And what it says will help. Just do it. But so many times we read it and say, this sounds wonderful. Maybe I'll even memorize some of it. And then we don't do it. That is no different than getting the pills to cure you and just setting them on your shelf. And every day passing them by, saying those look great, but I sure wish I could be helped. Well, we have to open the bottle and take the pills and let God do his work in our life. So, again, real faith, trust in God's plans. Moses trusted in God's plan of provision. That was the Passover. He trusted that God would provide a way of salvation. They obeyed by faith, and it worked out. And my point for us is it all starts with Jesus Christ. He's God's Passover lamb offered to humanity. Have you trusted in him to provide salvation from your sins? It starts there. Then are you trusting God to provide all your needs while you live this Christian life until we get to heaven and see him? Moses also trusted in God's plan of protection. They heard the crazy plan about crossing this river with sea walls beside them, but by faith they obeyed, and God protected them just like he said. Are you, by faith, obeying God's plans and trusting him to do what he said he would do in his way and in his time, but trusting him? I'm going to pray, and when I do, Bruce and them will come. I just want to give you a moment to reflect. My prayer is that you do know Jesus as your Passover lamb. If you don't, I'd love to talk to you about that this morning. But my second thing is for us Christians here. Ask God in this moment before you leave. God, reveal to me those areas of my life where I am not trusting your plans. I'm not following them. And it's messing up. So help me trust your plans and do it your way. Pray with me if you would. Jesus, thank you for salvation that you offered on that cross, dying as our Passover substitute lamb. But you rose again three days later, proving you could conquer death. And by faith in you, we're forgiven and promised eternal life. Thank you for people we can look to who were sinners like us, like Moses and Abraham, but yet through their faith, the same faith we can have, you worked in mighty ways through them. I pray that you would do the same with each of us, Lord. Help us to trust you more and follow your plan more as we leave here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.